Welcome. Uh, we're so excited to have you with us today. We want to thank you for welcoming us into your space. Uh, special welcome to our friends down in LaSalle and our friends down in Traditions. Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name, is, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. I uh, work in our next-gen department, which means middle school through college. Absolutely love it. Get to be a part of the teaching team here as well. And one of the things that I love about being on the teaching team here at Christ Community is that not only do I get to open up God's word with you, I also get to open up my own heart, right? I get to be vulnerable and talk about how these things we're learning about as a church are impacting me and shaping my outlook on on my life and on my relationship with God. Now, if you've been around for a while, you'd know that over the last several years, I've gotten to share a lot with you about this journey that I've been on with my father, Right, it started with a couple years ago, I told you about how my dad had left. And then maybe a year and a half ago, I got to talk about how I had found him during COVID and got to reestablish a relationship and forgive him. And now he's a part of our family. Like it's been this beautiful thing, right? There's so much to celebrate there. But there's more to my story than just that relationship. There's also the relationship that I have with my mom. You see, when my dad left, uh, things got pretty hard for our family. My mom was left with the responsibility of caring for three young kids on her own. And that's, that's hard, right? Like there have been times where my wife has gone away for the weekend and like I'm pulling my hair out at the end just saying like, I need a break. Like I can't even imagine how difficult that would be for that weekend to turn into basically forever. I mean, that's challenging. That's hard. And then you add to that the financial pressure of being a single mom who doesn't have a job and these three young kids you have to feed. And then there's the social stigma that comes along with that of being abandoned as a wife. Was I not enough? Did I not care for him? Was I a terrible wife? And if that wasn't enough to complicate matters even further, my mom was unknowingly suffering from a neurological disease called Huntington's chorea that was slowly destroying her ability to control her body, her emotions, her impulses, her mind, her life. I mean, this disease, it began to take over. It began to change her. And again, we had no idea about any of this at that time because my mom was adopted. We didn't even know what Huntington's was. Well, one of the first symptoms of this disease to present is intense mood swings which often manifests as these irrational, angry outbursts. And as a kid, I remember my mom having a lot of these, right? That there was the times where I would get in trouble at school and I would come home and she would take the metal hanger out of the closet and begin to hit me with it. That there was the time there was this homeless guy who stole all of the cans my mom had been saving to recycle And so my mom loaded us in the car and went out and found this guy and beat him up with a bat in front of us. And then there was the time when we were driving once and my siblings and I were in the backseat fighting and my mom apparently had enough and straight ahead of us, there was a, a light pole with a wall behind it. And she began speeding down the road, going faster and faster, screaming at us that she had had enough and that she was gonna end it all and kill us. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. These were some pretty traumatic experiences and they did something to me. Look, I I love my mom and not every moment was like this, right? We had some great moments, but because things like this happened on a regular basis, when I was growing up, 
I was afraid of her. I mean, she was just so angry and it felt like no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough. No matter what I said, it wasn't good enough. And so as this young little six-year-old kid, I was living in fear of my mother. I was walking on eggshells around her, trying to keep things from her, to just try to be the kid that I thought she wanted me to be because I didn't, I didn't want her to get mad at me, right? I, I didn't want her to, to hurt me. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not sharing any of this because I want to bash on my mom, right? I don't hold any of this against her. I really, I really don't. You see, I understand now why all of that stuff happened the way that it did. It was like this perfect storm of life circumstances being met with this disease that she had no control over that created the circumstances where some of this stuff happened, right? And to her credit, when she saw what was happening in a moment of clarity, she actually made the courageous decision to give us up for adoption to other members of our family so that we could actually have the life that we needed as kids. But even so... I can look back now and I can own the fact that as a kid, I lived in fear of my mom because of her anger. And in so many ways, I really believe that my fear of her and my fear of her anger, it kept me from being able to enjoy my time with her, right? It kept me from being able to enjoy intimacy with her. It it kept me from having that child-mother relationship that I think we all need. So here's why I bring this all up. Because that was my paradigm growing up, right? The paradigm of a, of, of a scared kid with an angry parent. Uh, when I started to explore Christianity, I subconsciously thought that God was this way too. You see, I thought that he was always angry and that he was just waiting for me to screw up so that he could punish me, that he was just waiting for me to screw up so that he could tell me how he knew I would always fail him, that I wasn't good enough for him. And I've got to imagine that I'm not alone in that feeling. Right? Maybe that's something that, that you felt too. Right? Maybe it's because of something you experienced with your parents when you were growing up. Or, or maybe it's the things that you've heard others say about God. Or maybe it's even some of the things that you've read in the Old Testament where you, you see God getting angry about certain things and you just think like, man, that happens a whole lot. Right? If, if that's where you're at, I want you to know that's okay. Like, like I, I get it, I've, I've been there. But my hope is that you don't stay there. You know, over the last 10 years, as I've wrestled with this topic, I've come to see how that view of God always being angry, ultimately it was this thing that kept me from experiencing this life-giving relationship that I know God actually wants with me. Which is why I think it's so important that when it comes to this whole conversation about God's anger, we need to set aside our own presuppositions, our own experiences, and simply ask, who does God say that he is? Right? Does he say that he's always angry? Right? Does he say that, that he's always like we think he is? Or maybe is it a little bit different. Maybe is it a little more nuanced than that? You know, that, that's why we're doing this series right now here at Christ Community called God's Name. Right? Instead of us making assumptions about who God is, we're actually taking the time to explore what God himself has actually said about who he is. And the passage that we're looking at in this series, it comes from Exodus 34, where God in speaking to Moses tells us who he is. There in verses six to seven, he says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, if you haven't heard the last few messages in this series, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to those at some point during this week, because I really believe that each and every one of these messages is important because each one is building on the next. And each one, we're talking about a specific character trait or component of who God is that is absolutely essential to kind of piece together if we want to understand the total full character of who God is. So I say that because what we're talking about today, right? this isn't the end all of who God is. This is just one part of who God is in this series we're painting about who he says he is in his own words. All right, so in the first week, KJ had talked about God's name, right? The name of God is Yahweh. He talked about the significance of this. And then the next week, Alan talked about what it means for God to say that he's compassionate and the beauty that comes from that. And then last week, Stetson did a phenomenal job talking about how God is gracious and what that means for us. Well, today we're gonna talk about another component of God's self-revealed character. And that's how God says he's slow to anger, right? And this attribute, God being slow to anger, it's a really important thing for us to get because so many just like me have gotten it wrong in the past. And here's what happens, right? If we get God's anger wrong, just like me as a little kid, it's gonna cause us to live in fear of him. And it's gonna keep us from going to God when the very thing we should be doing when things are happening in our life is actually running towards him. And that intimacy that God craves with us, that intimacy that he created us for, it's never gonna happen if we have a wrong understanding about his anger, right? So let's unpack this a bit. All right, now this phrase, slow to anger, it comes from the Hebrew words, erek apayim, which literally translated means long nostrils, or some other translators have actually written it down as being long of nose. And for the Hebrew people, when somebody was long of nose, it meant they were slow to anger, right? The opposite of that would, would have been somebody who is short of nose, meaning they were quick to anger. Now that's pretty weird, right? right? When I first learned about this, I didn't understand what it had to do with anger at all. Like I didn't get why they translated it that way. But honestly, as I did some research, it actually began to make a lot of sense. Now, now something we got to know about the Hebrew language, it's not as black and white as English typically is. You see here in the West, we're very literal in what we say, but that's not always the case with the Eastern world. You see for them, they're often more poetic in what they say. They would use these images of things that everybody understood to communicate this deeper truth that wouldn't just resonate with their mind. It would also resonate with their soul, right? And so this phrase, long of nose, it was actually a picture of what happens when somebody is faced with something that has the potential to make them angry, but they actually, instead of getting angry, choose to exercise patience and self-control in the face of it. All right, so let me give you an illustration that'll help this make sense. All right, so every day in my house, uh, we have some kind of conflict happening between our kids. And, and we've got five daughters, so as you can imagine, that is a lot of conflict. It's bound to happen. Now, honestly, whenever the conflict is between the kids, I don't really mind, right? It's like, hey, you know what, your kids, you guys can figure that out. It's pretty easy to navigate. I don't get all that worked up about it. But the thing that drives me crazy is when I've been really clear with my kids about something that I want them to do, 
and I've told them at least a dozen different times that they need to do it. And I've told them the consequences of what happens if they don't do it. And then I go to check on them to see if that thing is done. And I find that it's not. Our parents, you know what that's like, right? The adrenaline, it starts to rush. You feel your body begin to tense up. You want to go into attack mode and level up as a parent and exercise your control over your kid. Yeah, what I found is that in these moments, I've got two options for how I can respond. All right, the first is to just let them have it. All right, it's to make my anger known, to lay down the law and to impose my will upon them because they disobeyed and they need to deal with the consequences. Now, most of the time that really doesn't end all that well, right? Feelings get hurt, creates more conflict, more tension. I feel good for a couple minutes, but then I walk away and I actually end up feeling bad, right? That's the first way we can respond. That's what the Hebrew people would call being short of nose. But the second way, it's a little different. And often it's way more productive in life-giving. You see, these are the times where when the conflict happens, I'm actually aware of the things that I'm feeling. I'm I'm aware of the frustration. I'm aware of the disappointment, but I'm not controlled by them. Instead, I'm actually in control of them. And what's more in these moments, I'm also aware of what my kids are feeling. And I know that I don't wanna respond from this place of anger myself because I know that ultimately it's gonna hurt my young daughter's hearts. And so in these moments, I slow down and I take a deep, slow breath through my nose and I allow it to come in and then I allow it to go out. Right, and then I do it again. And then out. And what I find is that in these moments of slow breathing, all of that frustration that I feel, right, that anger that was so justified just a few moments ago, it begins to lose its grip on me. And I'm able to remind myself that my kids, they're just kids. And I'm able to see that getting angry in this moment, it's not going to solve anything. You see, in slowing down and responding out of that place of calmness, that's when I can actually do something that's productive, right? Something that not only addresses the current problem, but also something that brings life to my kids, right? That's a rakapayim. That's what it means to be long of nose, to be a slow breather, to have a longer fuse than other people, to not immediately snap when something angers me, to not fight for my own sense of justice the moment I see something wrong, but instead to be patient and to respond not out of frustration, but instead out of love, letting compassion and mercy and grace being the things that guide me forward. You see this right here, this is how God describes himself. He's a rekapayim. He's long of nose. He's slow to anger. Now this, this is the exact opposite Im- image of how I used to think God was. Right? I used to think that he was quick to anger and so I was afraid of him. And truthfully, that's what the Israelites thought about God as well. Right? And the reason they thought this is because that's how all of the other gods in that time were seen as well. 
This would be the Egyptian gods. And remember, when God shows up to talk to Moses here in Exodus 34, the people of Israel had literally just been set free from captivity in Egypt. And their entire worldview and paradigm for seeing things had been shaped by that culture. And so they thought that, that Yahweh, the God who had set them free, was just a more powerful version of the gods that, that were already there in Egypt. All right? And what they knew about these gods was this, is they're, they're vengeful, right? That they were petty, they enjoyed punishing people. They were always angry. And so it makes sense that they thought Yahweh would be the same. But here, when he's talking to Moses, when he's communicating to his people who he is, his heart and his character, he says this, I am nothing like them, right? These other gods, they, they may have been short of nose, but my nose, it's quite long, you see, they're always flying off the handle in a rage, but me, I'm, I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm patient. I am slow to anger and that's comforting, right? But having said that, we've also got to realize what God isn't saying here, right? And this is really important because God never said that he doesn't get angry, right? It's imperative that we understand that even though God is slow to anger, there are still things that make him angry, right? And if we don't understand this, we're gonna miss out on this important part of who God says he is. Yes, he's compassionate. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he is slow to anger, but there are still things happening in this world that he is not okay with, things that make him angry. Now, Solomon, who wrote a lot of wisdom literature in the Bible, he actually writes about these things in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, where he says this. He says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. All right, so here... Solomon talks about a handful of these things that God explicitly says he hates, or, or in other words, things that when they happen, they make him angry. All right, the first one is this, is you've got haughty eyes. This, this is a reference to pride. This is where somebody chooses to elevate themselves above other people. And it often honestly leads them to tear down the people who are around them just to make themselves look and feel better. God also says he hates a lying tongue. This is when somebody uses their words to deceive another person, often with this malicious intention to, to harm them and to profit at their expense. God also said he hates hands that shed innocent blood. Right, this is when the innocent and the vulnerable are taken advantage of and hurt, even killed. It says that he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Right, this is when somebody who's plotting to wound, this is when they're planning to take advantage. This is when they're just scheming about what they can do to get ahead and to push other people behind. God also said he hates feet that make haste to run to evil. Right, this is when somebody's heart is predisposed towards the things that are evil, the things that are not of God, which means that they choose to demean, devalue and hurt other people without giving it a second thought. God says he hates a false witness who breathes out lies. 
Right? is when somebody uses their words to intentionally speak half-truths and falsities about other people with the express purpose of hurting them, their reputation, and their livelihood. And then lastly, he says that he hates this. It is the one who sows discord among brothers. Right, this is when somebody is destroying community instead of building, protecting, and nurturing it. Now, when I look at these seven things, I, I see this underlying theme that I think really ties them all together. And I think it's a theme that we need to pay attention to because it really helps us see the thing at the end of the day that truly makes God angry, right? Because his anger, it's not just aimless, his anger, it's not just towards everybody, it's not towards everything. At the end of the day, the thing that makes God angry from what we see here, and honestly, we also see it in other parts of the Bible, it's this, it's when the innocent and the vulnerable are hurt and taken advantage of. Right, it's when those who don't have power are taken advantage of by those who do. And the reason I believe this is because it's something we see time and time again in the life of Jesus, in the way that he responds to certain situations that happen that involve vulnerable people being hurt and taken advantage of. Now, something important to remember about Jesus, right? It's specifically of how he acted and what he said. And that's simply, this is that Jesus, he revealed the heart and the character of God in its fullness, right? He did, right? The apostle Paul in Colossians 2.9 says this, says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, right? In, in other words, everything that God said about who he is in Exodus 34, all of that was fully manifested in who Jesus was, right? In the things that he said and the things that it, he did, it fully revealed who God was, right? And as you look at the gospels, you see this, right? His compassion and grace were on full display in the way that Jesus treated people, right? This is everything that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks is we've talked about compassion and grace, right? He welcomed people, he healed people, he embraced people. That, that's what we see in most of the gospel stories, right? It's compassion and grace, but sometimes we see Jesus get angry. All right now, it's very rare that we see Jesus get angry. In fact, there's only a handful of times in all of the gospels where this happens, but it's still there. And the thing that triggered it without exception, you guessed it. It's when the innocent and the vulnerable were taken advantage of. So I want us to look at one of these times that Jesus got angry because I think it illustrates it so well. And I think there's a lot we can learn from it, but it comes from John 2, 13 to 16, where it says this. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Right, so Jesus had just gotten to Jerusalem and he went to the temple, which is what every Jewish individual from all across the land was doing at that time. Right, this was one of the high holidays where everybody would come together to worship. And when he got there, John tells us that Jesus saw the money changers sitting there with the religious leaders selling animals in the temple. And this apparently made Jesus angry. And so he made a whip and then he began to chase these people out of the temple, all the while flipping their tables and their money boxes upside down, right? It's obvious, Jesus was not happy. But the question is why, All right, What's happening here that set him off? Well, there's two things. 
First, it was the religious leaders who were selling the animals and the price gouging that was happening by the money changers. Right now, remember, most of the people who were there that day, they weren't from Jerusalem. They came from far away. And for the Passover, there were these very specific sacrifices that they had to give and these animals that they were giving and laying on the altar to be sacrificed, they had to be pure. Well, it would have been impossible for these people traveling hundreds of miles away to keep those animals pure on that whole journey. And so the common practice was this, is when you got to the temple, you would just buy pure animals that were already there. Well, the religious leaders, they knew that people had to buy these animals. And so instead of charging them a fair price, they would double the cost. And what's more is this, the robbery didn't stop there. You see in the temple, they didn't want any of the Roman currency being in there because it was impure and unclean. And so just outside, they had a conversion place where you could give them the Roman money and you could get some temple money that you could then go use to buy the sacrifice. And these money changers, they charged double the rate of what they were supposed to. Why? Because they knew the people would pay it if they wanted to offer the sacrifice. You see, when all was said and done, the people were paying anywhere from four to five times what something actually cost just to be able to worship God. This was robbery, this was theft. This was the religious leaders taking advantage of the innocent and the vulnerable. And it made Jesus angry. But but this wasn't the only thing that angered him. You see, at the temple, there were certain places that only certain people could get into, right? There was the Holy of Holies where the high priest could go once a year. This is where the presence of God was. And then next to that was the, the, the court of the priests. And then you had the court of the men. And then you had the court of the women. And then outside of that, the outer part of the temple is the court of the Gentiles, This is the closest that any God-fearing individual who is not Jewish could get to the presence of God. This was the closest place they could get to the presence of God to be able to worship God. And guess where the religious leaders set up shop to rob people blind? It was right there in the one place the Gentiles had to worship him. Yet again, this is the religious leaders taking advantage of the innocent and the vulnerable. And it made Jesus angry. And church, I don't know about you, but I find a lot of comfort in knowing that Jesus gets angry, that there are things in this world that God gets angry about. Because I get angry when innocent and vulnerable people are hurt too. I mean, even right now, there are so many things happening in this world that are wrong, that are evil. They make me angry. I mean, just turn on the news. Watch the videos of parents who were outside of a hospital that their child was in receiving treatment for cancer that the Russians just dropped a bomb on that killed their child. Or read the stories of these refugees who are fleeing to neighboring countries who get there only to find out that the room they reserved on Airbnb has been taken away from them unless they pay triple the cost just because these hosts and people who own it know they can charge triple and there is nothing these refugees can do about it. Read the stories about families who have lost everything they've worked for for years. Their futures are ruined all because of this war. Right, these things, they, they make us angry. 
And they make God angry too. And when I know that God gets angry about these things, it brings me comfort. Because honestly, I don't know that I would wanna serve a God who is unmoved when stuff like this happens, right? When the innocent and the vulnerable are hurt and taken advantage of. It angers him like it does. And so let's talk about what this means for us. Because I know that when I look in the mirror, especially knowing what makes God angry, right? He's been pretty clear about that. I've got to be honest. I've been guilty of doing these same things in my life. There have been so many times where I've intentionally chosen to live with my pride, to to lie to other people, to devise wicked plans in my heart, to to sow discord. There are times where I've hurt and taken advantage of other people who are helpless. And the question that I ask myself is like, does this mean that God is angry with me? Well, this is where I think it's really important that we remember who God says he is. He's not short of nose. Yes, he is a God who gets angry. But remember, church, he said he is slow to anger. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful that he's patient with me and that even when I mess up, he's willing to work with me. You know, what I've come to realize lately is that God's anger, it's not just about getting justice for those who deserve it. It's not just about punishing people for the sake of punishing them. Sometimes God's loving anger is expressed in allowing us to experience the consequences of our sin, right? Sometimes that's in our future. Other times it's in the present. And, you know, Pastor Allen, he's going to talk a lot more about this in a few weeks, but please know this, for those of us who know God and follow him, his anger, it's, it's not this thing that we need to be afraid of, right? He's not just up there waiting to let us have it because we screwed up. You see, knowing that he gets angry and that sometimes he even gets angry at the things we do, we should actually see that as an invitation for us to repent, to to stop doing these things that put stumbling blocks in our relationship with him and instead turn back towards him. Just like me choosing to be slow to anger when my kids do something wrong because I know that my restraint can actually help them in those moments more than my outbursts, God does that same thing for us. You see, he's, he's a good father. He's the best father. And a good father always does the thing that at the end of the day is in the best interest of his kid. And that's why he's slow to anger. Because ultimately he wants us to experience that life that we were created for, right? that life with him. And so sometimes we've got to reap the consequences of our sin, right? That happens. That's God's loving anger towards us but there are these other times where he is patient. But friends know this in both of these situations, whether we are dealing with the anger now or whether God is patient, know this, it is always his love for us that is driving that. And I'm so grateful for this. You know, when I realized that my mom's anger was a result of her disease, that that it wasn't this thing that she actually felt towards me. It changed the way that I saw her. It actually changed the very dynamic of our relationship. 
It helped me get to this place where I no longer had to live in fear of what she might do if she got angry. And when I knew that, it allowed me for the rest of the time that she was alive to actually have this loving and life-giving relationship with her. And the same things happened in my relationship with God. When I realized that he was slow to anger, that, that he would be patient with me, when I realized the things that he was actually angry about, when I realized that when I experienced some of that anger in my life, that it was actually an invitation for me to come to him and repent, to come back to him, I changed everything. And knowing that God was un, not unmoved by the things happening in this world, it gave me confidence to know that God is not unmoved by the things that are happening in my life. And knowing all of this about God, honestly, it's given me this deeper trust in him. It's given me this deeper desire to be vulnerable with him and to step into this intimate relationship that he's inviting me into. Knowing I don't have to be afraid of him, knowing he'll be patient with me, man, that makes me want to follow him more. And all that stuff that he wants to do for me to be patient, to be slow with anger, to be graceful, like friends, he, he wants to do that with you too. Let's pray. And so as we move into a time of prayer, there's a few things that I want to invite you to do. Just in the stillness of your heart, wherever it is that you're sitting. And the first is this. You know, in his own words, God has said that he's slow to anger, right? That he is a rekapiam, he is a slow breather. And let me just ask, in your life right now, in the things that you're walking through, whether there's some sin you're dealing with or there's this strained relationship you have, let me just ask you, do do you believe this? Do you believe that God is slow to anger with you? Or do you feel like he's always bad? Invite the Holy Spirit into that place and ask him if maybe you've had some false assumptions about who he is and ask him to help you see your father more clearly. And the second thing that I want to invite you to do is this. You know, God, he, he has been so clear about the things that make him angry. Right? It's when the vulnerable are hurt and when they're taken advantage of. I want to invite you to take a moment in the quietness of your heart and to think about the people that you've judged and condemned in the past, maybe even the people you're judging and condemning right now, the things that you're getting angry about. And invite the Holy Spirit into that and simply ask him this question. Are these the same things that the father is getting angry about? 
Are these the same people that the father is mad at? And as you do this, pray that your heart would be bent towards his. Ask that your heart would be changed so that the things that offend him would be the things that offend you. And that the things he's patient with are the things that you would be patient with. Invite him into that. Father, we thank you that you are different, that you are patient, that you are a rack of pium, Lord, that you are slow to anger. Father, for each of us, would we see that for what it is? Not as a thing to be afraid of, the Father is an invitation to come to you. And Father, I pray for everybody who is sitting here listening right now that you would be speaking to them. You'd be helping them see these things that are in their lives that are stumbling blocks. And Father, give them the courage to deal with them so that they can repent and turn back to you and experience that life-giving intimacy that you want for them. And Father, I do ask that our hearts would become more like yours. That the things that bring you joy would bring us joy. And the things that break your heart would break our hearts. And the things that make you angry would make us angry. Father, we don't want to get this wrong. But Father, we celebrate and we thank you for who you are as a compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. That Father, you are drawing us near to you. And so we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello, welcome to the sermon discussion. Um, following Pastor Nate's message, my name is uh, Dudley Brown. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Christ Community. And um, this is spring break discussion, by the way. Oh, Everybody's yeah. on vacation. You're absolutely so it gets right. To be, and you know, Dudley, you're one of my favorite people to talk with on oh, staff here. Great. So it's going to be great. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. We can here. geek out. We're, we're both doctors. Yeah, exactly. Hello, there doctor. You, hello, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I never call anyone doctor. I don't either. And I never get called doctor. I do not either. So thank you. <laughs> well, Nate, I, I appreciated the message. This is a tough topic um, yeah. to, to develop and unpack for the church, for all of us. Um, and I have to say that as soon as you got started talking and you, and you shared the story of your dad, which I'd heard last year, and then you started talking about your mom, and it put me in a place where um, your misunderstanding of your mom's situation colored how you viewed God. Yeah. And then I started thinking about, what about my own misunderstanding of my parents and how that colored my view of God? And it's a very different view yeah. of God. And I think that's, that's um, something that 
helped me um, in this message right from the beginning is to think about, okay, how did I view my mom and dad, and how did that have an impact on how I view God? Well, and, so. and I mean, it, it could be life experiences. Uh, right. It could be things you've read, like in the Old Testament, where it's like, right. you know, the, the flood and all these people, or, or it could be something you've heard some preacher say, but like the reality is like, for so many of us, what we think about God, it doesn't always come directly from him, right? It comes from these outside influences. And what I experienced as a kid is like, hey, because I had that, I brought all of that baggage into my relationship with God. And I just said, hey, he is angry. He is waiting to punish me. If I set him off, like he literally might kill me. And Uh it it created this fearful relationship. And I think there's healthy fear to having a relationship with God. Like I'm not going to deny that, but I can honestly say that my fear was really, really, really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've loved, and this is why I actually really enjoyed this topic. You're right. It was a tough one to navigate because you're right, like, there's right. so much here. Yeah, but to yeah. actually be able to sit down and say, okay, God, like, what, what do you say about this, right? Because I, I, I'll just be real. Like, I, I think 85% of the stuff that I have thought in the past and that I know a lot of people may think today that God gets angry about, it's like, I don't know if he's actually angry about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And there's so much stuff you could talk about, right? Like, well, is it somebody who's in sin? It's like, well, there is anger there, but like Jesus's first impulse for people in sin was actually to move towards them with love and compassion. And yet sometimes in the world, I see like, no, like our first response is to think that God's just like ready to smite them. You know what I mean? So like there's all this stuff and it's like, it's not to say that anger's not there, but it, it just, it, it gave me so much more freedom in how I pursued God with vulnerability to say like, all right, I, I can be here because you're patient. Right. And like, yeah, that there's anger, but like you're slow to anger and you're willing to work with me. Right. And that's huge. So I, one of the things you talked about was this uh, Hebrew phrase, the... Uh, Arekapayim. Yeah. I, and I actually, you know, I hadn't heard that phrase and I appreciated that, the imagery of that long nose and the slowness to anger and... Uh, that, that was helpful, especially as we come out of the previous messages on God is gracious, God is compassionate, slow to anger. And for me, it's helpful to kind of keep them all as a package together yeah. instead of just uh, pulling out one and then only focusing on. I know that's what we're doing in the, in the sermon series, and, and that's understandable. But there's this package that really makes that expression feel all the more powerful. Well, yeah, like I, I don't know that we can necessarily understand God outside of understanding all of who he is. So like, mm-hmm. use me for an example. Like mm-hmm. if, um, if you're out there so- somewhere describing to people who I am and all you say is, well, he's one of the teaching pastors at Christ Community and that's it. It's like, well, Dudley, like you've missed out on all these, like I work exactly. with students and I'm also a husband and I've got five kids and I'm a friend and I've got all these passion, like all of that stuff makes right. me who I am. And it actually influences the way that I pastor. That you do that one teaching. Exactly. Part. And so thinking about yeah. everything we talked about for the last few weeks mm-hmm. with his compassion and his grace, it's like, well, that stuff actually influences the way that this anger of God actually kind of gets lived out, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. why he is a recapim. That is why he is slow to anger because yeah. even in his anger, he is compassionate and he is gracious. And if you never talk about compassion and grace, it's easy to think how we get like this fire and brimstone God who is just mm-hmm. angry and waiting to destroy us, kind of like the Egyptians thought. Yeah. But when you know it's, that's not all of who he is. This is just like one part, but it's yeah. all together as a whole. 
Yeah, good. So, um, when you mentioned this arachipayim, the first image that came to my mind when you started talking about the long nose was an expression I learned from a professor in seminary years ago, and he was from New Zealand. Okay. And he had this, like, New Zealand English, and he shared the idea of the, of the nosy parker, one who had a long nose who would park it in other people's business. And that was like an expression in New Zealand for one who's a gossip. They're always getting involved in somebody else's business. So I'm so glad that's not the concept of God here, but that he, he really is um, patient with us and uh, forces us into a place where we have to think, oh, wow, God, thank you that you are patient. Thank you that you are gracious to me. Thank you that you are slow to anger. Because you got to the passage in Proverbs, and honestly, uh, you related it to people who like are taking advantage of others. And I think it's exactly that's right. The examples from Jesus are, are perfect because he especially um, railed against the Pharisees in yeah. those places. But I was reading that passage or hearing you talk about the passage, and I was just thinking, wow, that's my sin. Oh, that's my sin. That's my sin. These are my sins. Thank you, God, that you're yeah. slow to anger toward me. So um, it, it kind of like pushed me back a little bit to say, God, thank you. Yeah. Help me to breathe life like saying Yahweh, you know, the, the Yah-Heh-Vav-Heh that uh, Pastor KJ has brought out about and, and, breathing life. And that's where like when you think about the whole long nose that – thing that you probably do if you get frustrated where it's like, yeah, breathe in, breathe out, right? right? In the Hebrew culture, that was their thing. The breath in, the breath out, that was Yahweh, right? right? They were saying God's name. And so right. it's so beautiful and poetic, just like the yeah. Hebrew language and the Hebrew people. But yeah. like going back to that, that, you know, example I gave with my kids and my, my heart, when I slow down and I'm patient, it, it's not about what's best for me. It's ultimately... Mm -hmm. As a parent, it's about what's best for my kid. Yeah, and yeah. to think about God through that lens of like, God, like your anger, it's really about what's best for me. And your patience and your being slow to anger, mm -hmm. that's still about what's, what's best, best for, for me. me. Yeah. Right. You know, whereas like I think about the, the times where I fail as a parent, where I do not practice a recopine, where I'm short of nose, right. that's all about me. Right. That's where I'm like, man, I'm going to drop the hammer. I'm going to feel good. And right. you know, you know right. how I always walk away feeling bad after I do that kind of, of stuff. Of course, I do too. But my, my kids were little as well. There's nothing redemptive yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. And yet the anger of God, it is always redemptive, right? It, yeah. it always yeah. moves us forward. That's good. That's really a valuable point to remember that uh, uh, God is life-giving yeah. to us, even in those moments when he's correcting us or making us stop and think about what our particular behavior, how it just affected another person. Yeah. So. When, and thinking about that, that kind of exercise we did at the end, that prayer, right. um, those two questions have just really been things that I've been sitting with a lot of like, mm -hmm. all right, God, like one, do I, do I subconsciously still think you're angry? And what are those areas? And like, how am I inviting you into that to actually speak truth to me? Mm -hmm. But then that second piece, that's where it's like, man, like God, like, have I maybe made some faulty assumptions about the things that you're angry at in this world and towards mm -hmm. other people? And, uh, you know, because ultimately, like, the, the whole heartbeat of following Jesus is that we begin to develop his heartbeat. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, so, like, 
what kind of work do we need to do to make sure that we're not trying to like take the things that maybe trigger us and impose those and be like, all right, this should trigger God then, mm-hmm. but to go like, no, like God, what does your heart right. actually break for? And what can we as your people do about that? How can we be a part of that? Yeah. Um, I think it's actually this invitation uh, you know, to not only repent ourselves if we're a part of the right. problem, but actually to be a part of the solution in this world exactly. today, right? So, so for example, right, we look at everything happening in Ukraine. It's like horrendous. It's mm-hmm. horrible. And it's like, yeah. this breaks God's heart. This makes him angry. It's like, well, we actually have an opportunity. And I know there's some things we're doing as a church to partner with some organizations over there, but we can be a part of the solution of bringing hope and peace. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Just I think there's a lot of good stuff. But I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. I think there were the the last thing I would maybe mention is at the end of the message, I um, my mind went to the end of Romans chapter eight, where Paul writes, "If God is for us, mm-hmm. then who can be against us?" And I'm just thinking, God is for us. He is slow to anger, and that's because He is for us. He is. Uh, cultivating a relationship with us so that we come to a place of intimacy with him. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really a, a beautiful, beautiful picture that God is for us. Yeah. Even in the midst of struggle and a painful world that we live in. So, so good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your message. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, it's valuable. And I think. Well, we'll if they come a... back next week, they'll get another one from uh, Pastor Allen. Oh, well, there we go. Mariana. And then uh, you will get a chance. Oh, Mariana's preaching next week. I don't know. Is she? Oh, I don't know. But I, I know she's coming up soon. Well, whoever it is, you <laughs> will enjoy the message. Plus, um, you'll be challenged, and God will speak to you and transform your heart. And then you'll be able to hear another little short discussion like this. Yeah. I think these are life-giving. Thanks for being here today. Hope you have a great week. Take care.